Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. One another's. The one another's. <laughs> um, last week we took some time, looked at the church, kind of transitioning from the gospel into and through Acts, which we took uh, two years to teach through, so not going to uh, go back over ground covered. But at the same time, we recognize there's a new day, Right? There's a new time frame here, and it's the church. And the church's priority absolutely must be the Lord. Amen? Isn't that the right way of saying this? That in everything, the Lord is first. Where does he want us to go? What does he want us to do? Understanding that he'll empower us to do the very things that he commands us and leads us in. And he's called us into his body, which is the church. And the priority is that Christ comes first in everything. The very first question that all of us ought to have on our minds whenever we're trying to discern what it is that we're supposed to do is, Lord, what would you have us to do? What's your will, Lord? We give deference to him in everything. In everything. And in the midst of it, as being called into the body of Christ, the church, the community of believers... Fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with one another, we have been called into a relationship with one another. Now, that's kind of an interesting moment, isn't it? Because uh, in our day and age, everybody seems to kind of pick churches or it seems to be the case, not everybody, but the pressure is, what's this church doing for me? And so I'm going to go wherever I can get my needs met. And we're not saying that needs ought not be met. But we are in this odd cafeteria smorgasbord kind of moment. When we talk about the community of believers, we talk about the body of Christ, the church, in a local setting. We're talking about a fellowship of believers that are called into relationship with Christ first and with the Lord as well. Obviously, the Lord first and then with one another. And so sometimes we bail. (laughs) The going gets tough and we're like, forget this. (laughs) And out we go. I I think the body of Christ, the the church, fellowship with one another is essential. I I think it's what God's called us into because we need it. I need it. You need it. We all need it. Why? Because we don't necessarily see ourselves as accurately, perhaps, at times as what others see us. And so we need one another. We need this whole idea of loving one another. We need the idea of coming alongside of one another, encouraging one another, uh, at times admonishing one another, correcting one another in Christ with love, with kindness, with gentleness. We need that. The Lord is obviously to be our first love. And as we look at the church community, because we're in Christ, because we're believers in Christ, we have the opportunity of being a part of his body, which is the church, and we have the opportunity of being in community with one another. Have you ever seen anybody within the body of Christ who is not filled with the Holy Spirit giving an accurate picture of what God's grace is all about? If we're going to give an accurate picture to the world, including, by the way, ourselves and one another, but if we're going to give an accurate picture of who Jesus really is, we ought to, we should be walking by 
love for one another. And in the midst of that, what happens? Not only do we begin to walk in the Spirit, we begin to walk in His power, His ability, because He indwells us and He fills us. Galatians 5.22 makes it very clear that the Spirit of God is who produces love. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something we just sit down and go to a board meeting and try to make happen. It's something that we've got to yield to the Lord and we've got to surrender to him. Walk by faith in him. And God in us begins to produce who he is. So that he begins to transform us and through us begins to reveal the character and the reality of his life. See, when we begin to walk in Christ, then we will begin to walk in love for one another because Christ will always lead us to walk in his way, and his way is love, always. Now, we've defined love in all kinds of kind of goofy ways as a society. We love hamburgers, right? <laughs> we love the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> you knew I was going there, didn't you? Come on, right? When we talk about God's love, we're talking about agape love. We're talking about a direction of the will, a decision to do something for somebody in spite of the cost to yourself. Think about that. See, we're called into a community of love. We're called into Christ who is love. And as we surrender to the Lord, God who is love begins to transform us and our activity, our attitudes, our actions, all the things that we are, all the things that we do begin to reflect him because he's empowering us through the spirit of God who indwells us. And so love begins to be the predominant theme. And we've defined it in all kinds of ways. Love doesn't necessarily mean that it's always a pat on the back. Sometimes uh, it, it may be a bit of a uh, of punch. See, when we talk about uh, correction, admonishment, when we talk about encouragement, encouragement, just, it, it's not just an attaboy. Encouragement can be, what are you doing? Get back over here. So we talk about love in its fullest sense. And we all need that, folks. Anybody perfect? If you raised your hand, well, we just found out you're not. (laughs) The PowerPoints, uh, go ahead and put those up. We've got all kinds of one another's. You can can do a search on this and you can walk through uh, all the one another's in the New Testament. And it is absolutely indescribable how many of them there are. Unity is one of the major themes. Just keep scrolling. Unity is one of the major uh, themes in terms of the one another's. We're going to look at that in a little bit. Go to the next one. Love, obviously. Right? Literally one-third of the commands given to Christians uh, have the idea of loving one another. Humility becomes a part of this. How do we uh, view others? How do we view ourselves in this body of Christ, the church, the community of believers? There's all kinds of different ones. One of the kind of funny ones is greet one another with a kiss. We don't practice that today. I don't think. Maybe some of y'all do. I don't know. But it's pretty interesting because the point of the matter is, is how do we value one another? How, how do we greet one another? That's why we do a greeting at the beginning of a service. 
And folks, you don't got to wait until that moment in order to greet one another. I think sometimes people think that that's what you're supposed to do. When we say greet one another, that's when you can greet one another by all means. You know, prior to, after, whatever. Greet one another. Why? Because it's an expression of fellowship. It's an expression of love. That was good. There you go. <laughs> yes, four of the one another's are about kissing one another. And I, I'm grateful for my wife. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Thirteen times in the New Testament, nine of which are in John's writings, whether it's in the gospel or his epistles, the idea of loving one another is brought to bear. To me, this is the banner. This is the banner. All else falls under this banner. His banner over me is what? Love. He lives in me. He is love. He's beginning to transform us into his very image. And so when we talk about loving one another, we better have a bit of an understanding of that, what it looks like, because as the body of Christ, love is essential. It's not secondary. It's absolutely what we are to be about, because if we truly are following the Lord, and if God is having his way in our lives, and if we're truly walking by faith, yielded to him, being filled with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, however you want to put that, then love, his love, is going to be seen through us. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Fascinating, right? I'm sure we've heard that. We know that. Love one another. The direction of our will towards one another is always to place the other in front of ourselves, no matter what it costs us. How do we know love? We know love by this, that Christ laid down his life For us, when did he do it? When we were his friends? Absolutely not. When we were his enemies. See, the Lord gave his life as a picture, an expression of the true identity of his character, of who he is, which is love. He went to the cross in order that we may have an understanding of the reality of who God truly is. And we looked at it a few weeks ago. The greatest glory of God seen on this earth is in the person of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. When we talk about glory, we're talking about true identity. What's the true identity of God? What's his motive towards us? It is love. It is love. And so when God begins to live in us as we yield our way to him, we begin to love one another. Why? Because God begins to empower us to do the very thing that he commands us to do. And as a result, something takes place within a body of believers, within a community of the church, and it's called love. And it's divinely inspired and empowered. It is not something that we plan, that we program, or that we can come up with in and of ourselves. We can't fake it. People know immediately whether we truly are walking with God or not because they recognize that there's something different about our lives, about our motives, about our attitudes, about the decisions that we make, the way that we defer to one another, the way that we love one another. And it's that that begins to be a testimony of the reality 
of the salvation in Jesus Christ. John 15, 17 says this, I command you that you love one another. It's a command. Praise God for the Holy Spirit within us that is able to fulfill that command. Folks, if we don't understand that, then I think we are missing out on some of the very basic truths of our faith. If there's a law that we could keep in and of ourselves, then why in the world did the Lord Jesus Christ go to the cross to die? The law was not given as a spiritual stepladder in order for us to accomplish it. The Galatian believers, believers, began to place themselves back up under the very thing that pointed them to Christ in the first place. And Paul admonishes them lovingly, sternly for it. Because the only thing that the law does is expose our sin. The only thing the law does is expose what we can't do. When we die to self and we learn to walk with the Lord and yield to him, God begins to produce his love through us. And that is what is attractional in a right sense to this world. How do we know that we're walking by love? <laughs> How do we know? I think there's all kinds of different ways to experience that, to recognize that. Let me give you a Five. Let me give you five evidences of Christ's love, and let me give you five threats to the community called the church, the body of believers. First of all, the evidences were unified with one another. Unity is a sign that we pervasively, as a body of believers in a local setting, are walking in God's love, in His power, yielded. And surrendered to him. Secondly, humility towards one another. Thirdly, we encourage one another. Fourthly, we serve one another. And fifth, we forgive one another. Now, there's a whole lot of different things that you could say about the one another's, but those are just broad, sweeping categories, but they're important. Because none of those five, none of the one another's can take place if we're not walking in God's love. If he's not our primary, if he is not our focus, if we're not walking by his strength and his power so that his love is transforming us, renewing our minds, and then being seen and revealed through us in terms of our attitudes and our actions. Will not happen. So look at the first one, unified with one another. First of all, we're aligned with the will of Christ. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 5. Romans chapter 15, verse 5. He says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Did you catch this? The God who gives perseverance and encouragement, the ability to bear up under circumstances and with one another. May he give to you To be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus. Why? So that, here's the potential. If we're really following God, if we're really walking with God, if we're really serving the Lord and we're empowered by the Lord, and if God is the one who is orchestrating the unity, what's going to happen with one accord, that you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, when we're yielded to the Lord and we're walking in his love and that banner is true about not only our own lives personally but also corporately, then God begins to orchestrate unity. It's in Christ that we have unity. And understand that he says, according to Christ Jesus. He's not talking about whether you like daffodils or roses. Chad. (laughs) He's not talking about whether you like the cowboys or not. I think you're nuts for that personally if you don't. Right? But what he's talking about is whether we are in Christ, according to Christ, unified in that everything that we're about is for the glory of God. Not our glory. His glory. That's the point. Who creates that, folks? It's not me. It's not the elders. It's not the pastors. Not the lay leaders. It's not the deacons. It's not anybody in this church. It is God who does that. We submit to him in it. And if we're truly walking in love for one another, God begins to orchestrate unity within the body of Christ so that there is an understanding that this is all for his glory, who he is. Not only that, but we function together as a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 22 through 27, Paul is talking to a a group of believers in, in Corinth that were as carnal and fleshly as you can find in the New Testament. He's already chastised them earlier in the epistle. You're of Apollos, you're of Cephas, right? You're of Paul, you're of Christ. They were all about who they were about, My goodness, as soon as you start hearing that kind of stuff, you know that's carnality, you know that's unspiritual, and have nothing to do with it. Period. It doesn't matter whether it's in the local body, whether it's in the extended body. I'm of this person, I'm of that person. This person, hey, hey, hey. Let's get back to what the Word of God says. And let's understand it's for His glory, not ours. But in the midst of this, he's rebuking them. They were fractured. They were completely divided in so many different ways. He actually says to them that they were walking as mere men. Do you understand what that means? It means that they were walking in such a way that you couldn't tell the difference between them as believers and unbelievers. They looked exactly the same. You're walking as mere men. You're unspiritual. You're not walking with God. You're in the flesh. You are believers. The foundation's secure. But you're experiencing of God. What's going on here? And so he gets to verse, chapter 12, verses 22 and following, and he's dealing with the spiritual gifts. They thought the spirit, well, look at this person. Look at the gift they've got. And it was all experiential stuff that they wanted to lift high. He says, on the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. Now listen, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that, what's the purpose? That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Man, oh man. 
See, if we're walking according to God's ways, we're walking according to love. If we are being transformed by the Lord, not only are we going to be of the same mind that this is all for God's glory, but we as a body will begin to function as a body. Not everybody's a right hand. Not everybody's a left hand. Not everybody's a right leg or a left leg. Not everybody's a shoulder or an elbow. But everybody has equal value before God. And we begin to treat one another with that in mind. We're unified with one another. Folks, one of the first and absolute signs that a body of believers is walking together in Christ, surrendered and yielded to him, walking in his love, is that there is a unity you cannot fake, you cannot plan, you cannot make it up. God is at work. And everybody knows it. Secondly, there's humility towards one another. There's humility towards one another. The word humility literally means lowliness of mind. Willing to place yourself under. Romans 12, 16, there's the valuing of each one's significance. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Folks, I've heard that preach where the lowly there is talking about the poor that are unbelievers. Absolutely not. He's talking about the people within the body of Christ that don't seem to have a higher position than somebody else. The lowly are the people that may not be seen all the time. It's the body of believers that he's talking about. Associate with one another. Walk with one another. Don't treat one another as if somebody's more important than, than somebody else. We're all equal in value. We have different roles, but we're all necessary. Humility. Don't be wise in your own estimation. <laughs> I love that. Don't, don't, don't think you're so, you're so important. Why do you think you're so important? Why do you think I, why, what I think I'm so important, folks? It's so funny to me to hear, oh, I'm the senior pastor of Hoffmantown Church. And how many people, as soon as they hear that title, begin to look at me in a different way? It's scary sometimes. It's a little bit odd. I'm, I'm just part of the flock. I'm a sheep, just like everybody else. I may have a bell around my neck. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'm thinking, golly, day. But who do we follow? Who's the head? Who's the leader? The shepherd, the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be wise in your own estimation. We place others and their interests first. Philippians 2 is one of the classic passages on this. Philippians 2, 3 and following says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. And then he goes on to give an example of Christ and how Christ, who is God, right? The whole picture there is not somehow that he stole something from God that didn't belong to him. The picture is that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped in verse 6. What that means is not that he laid aside his deity. He laid aside his rights as deity. When he claimed to be God, he was not robbing from God something that did not belong to himself. He is God. But even in spite of that, what did he do? He humbled himself. And what did he do? He went to the cross and he even died. 
How humble is that? Could have called 10,000 angels to come and rescue him. Nobody took his life. He laid it down. What a picture of humility for us. When we're walking with the Lord, we're walking under the banner of love. We're walking in unity with Christ. He helps us not only to be of the same mind, he helps us in order to be humble towards one another. And he gives us this picture of how the Lord died to himself for us. 1 Peter 5, 5 gives us a great picture of being clothed with humility. He says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. I love that picture. It's, it's clothing yourself with humility towards one another. Why? For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. When you walk into a room with other believers, it's not about you. It's about the Lord. And there's value here with other believers. There's love here for other believers. There's a recognition of their needs in front of your own. And as a result, there's an attitude that goes with this. We recognize that we are to be clothed with humility. Nobody woke up this morning and didn't think about what they were going to wear to church. How silly is it when we say, well, we're not going to clothe ourselves with humility by yielding to Christ. Thirdly, we encourage one another. There's all kinds of different Greek words for encouraging, and I'm not going to go through all of them. You'll sigh a breath of relief at this moment in time. We encourage one another. means to build one another up. Romans 14, 19, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. In that context, what he's saying is that we set aside our rights for the sake of a weaker brother. Wow. Think about that. What rights do you have as a believer that you are fully free to participate in, but you have claimed your rights to the point where you have offended a weaker brother? Are you willing to lay those rights down for the sake of a weaker brother? Well, we can get into all kinds of topics on that one. What about alcohol? On and on. Are we willing to lay those rights down for the sake of another for the sake of somebody else, for their walk with God, to make sure that they are not offended, that they do not trip and stumble because we are claiming our rights so much that we hold on to them with everything we got in spite of the fact that it's causing another to stumble. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another, build, one, build up one another, just as you also are doing. And I love that because in the context, he's talking about our future hope of being with Christ and all those who are believers. Build one another up. Encourage one another. About what? About the fact of where we're headed. (laughs) And as believers, nobody's going to be left behind. Praise God. Right? How do we encourage one another? We build one another up. What's going on with our speech? Are we pointing it to Christ? Are we allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to have dominion over us? By saying yes to him and walking with him and walking in his love. We're encouraging one another. We're building one another up. Are we willing to lay down rights that maybe we do have, but for the sake of our weaker brother, for the sake of our weaker sister, we're willing to say, oh, that doesn't even matter. What really matters is love. What really matters is our walk together with Christ. 
in faith. We're told to encourage one another. Hebrews 3.13, he says, Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another to walk by faith, to walk in Christ's strength so that we won't be hardened by sin. Or we're told in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, in love and good deeds, he says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's he talking about? He's talking about Jewish believers, Hebrews, who were scared to death about the persecution that they were going through, who did not want to come into a corporate gathering to be associated with other believers, and were staying at home as a result. That's what he's talking about. That word assembling together, folks, cannot be translated in any other way than right here. Period. I am not saying, because some of you immediately are jumping to this, well, we can't do everything that this verse is talking about right here. Amen. So that's why we have K-groups. That's why we have Sunday morning Bible fellowship classes. Because there are people, and if you're here, one of, if you're here today and this includes you, own it. But people will come into church, they will talk for a few minutes, they will check off the box, and they will leave, and they are never growing in their relationships with other believers. Folks, that ought not be. We need to walk together and we need to encourage one another and stimulate one another to good deeds and good works as we see the day of Christ approaching even more so. (laughs) I don't know about you, but can we even begin to imagine that today we're not closer to the day of Christ than when this was written? I think not. We need this. This is primary, but we also need fellowship with one another. We need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. We need to learn to love one another because we're called into the community of the body of Christ. Serving one another. 1 Peter 4.10 As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What a beautiful picture. The word serve here is the same root word as we get the word deacon from. To serve one another. In this context, what is he talking about? He's talking about the gifts. Each and every one of us have been given at least one spiritual gift. How are we using it for the benefit of somebody else? How are we walking with God in such a way that the Lord through us is revealing who he is in the midst of this particular service activity and how is it benefiting the body of Christ and how is it helping build the body of Christ up? That's the point. We're not given the spiritual gifts. We're not given a gift from the Lord in order to, hey, look at me. (laughs) The reason the word serving is diakonos there, is deacon, is because it's somebody who is doing this for somebody else without necessarily getting any credit for it. Fifthly, we forgive one another. When we're walking in love, not only does God help us to be of the same mind, not only do we begin to walk in humility, not only do we begin to walk in such a way that God is glorified in and through our lives and we begin to encourage one another and serve one another, but we also forgive one another. We forgive 
Is there anybody perfect here? No. Do all of us need forgiveness at times? You bet. Do all of us need to be willing in God's power and God's strength to forgive? Better believe it. So what happens if we're not forgiving? What happens if we're not walking in that? What's that a picture of? What's that a sign of? It means we're not walking according to God's love. It means we are not giving evidence of the character of the Lord in and through our lives. We're giving some other evidence, but it's not from the Lord. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. The word bearing with one another, bearing means to hold back. Somebody does something and boy, they offended your rights and bam, you're going to smack them down for it. (laughs) You ever experienced that? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, everybody froze. Of course you have. Have you ever done it to somebody? Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Now, don't look at me that way. You all got flesh just like I do. I understand. I loved hearing my father-in-law, 6'7", 250 at that time, 60, say, boy, we could settle a lot of things if we just step out back. I kind of agree with them. I like watching Westerns because they settle it right there and then. It's great. This undermining, this passive-aggressive nonsense. Wow. Bearing with one another. Hold back. Hold back. Somebody does something, what do you do? In love, you say it's to the glory of a man to overlook a matter. In love, you say I'm willing to let that one go because I trust Christ with it. It's okay. Forgiving each other. The word forgive means to show favor or grace towards somebody. Meaning that they have done something. Maybe it was very harmful. Maybe it was very hurtful. But you're willing to show grace. You're willing to forgive in spite of it. Wow. that Folks, that only happens when we're walking rightly related to the Lord. When we're walking in his love. When we're being filled with the spirit of God. And God through us is producing who he is. That only happens then. If there's a lack of forgiveness, what does that mean? It means... That we're not walking filled by the Spirit of God. What are the threats to the community? Threats to the community. I would say one of the greatest threats to the community is legalism. No question. Because what does legalism do? Legalism creates a false sense of pride. Legalism creates this, this false banner of achievement. Legalism is a performance, I have earned it environment. It's not grace. It's antithetical to grace. It has nothing to do with grace. And if we're not careful, what we end up doing is taking what we think should be the standard that we can't even measure up to and imposing it on other people. And folks, that's a threat to the community, the body of Christ, the church. We all struggle with it. 
We all have our pet peeves. We all have where we think we've been successful. We all think uh, in some way, shape, or form how we're supposed to walk and what level that we're supposed to get to. We all do this. We need the grace of God, all of us. Praise God. But let's be careful about that. Because when we take standards that not even the Lord imposes upon us and we impose it on ourselves and then turn around and impose it on others, that creates a hypocritical environment that nobody enjoys. Except perhaps the people that think that they've arrived. Romans 6.15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? May it never be. Or Galatians 3, verses 2 and following says, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Were you saved by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Wow. What law, what rule is there that you think that you are actually becoming more mature or spiritually growing in Christ because you have the ability to keep it? Wow. That doesn't happen. How do we grow? We grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. We grow by the, by the word of God. We grow because God's power. We grow because we learn to yield to him and the spirit of God in us begins to transform us and change us. When we create a legalistic system, And we're not talking about rules, and we're not talking about accountability. We're talking about putting somebody down because they don't measure up to what we think should be the standard. That's a whole different world. Folks, that's a threat to the community. Spiritual pride is a direct result of this. And it's a threat to the community. Galatians 5.26, he says, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Boastful. Thinking of ourselves more than what we really are. Challenging one another. Envying one another. Oh, man, when, you, when we're not walking by grace, we're not walking under the banner of love, and we're not walking in all the different evidences of what that looks like, and we're not walking by Christ's power and his strength, then we begin to walk according to the measure of our own success, and spiritual pride begins to come into this. And as a result, we begin to envy one another, and we begin to boast, and we begin to point the finger at others, and we challenge one another. I had more baptisms than you did. Wow. You think that's going to fly in heaven? I don't think so. What flies in heaven? What flies in God's economy? What flies when we talk about the truth of the reality of the community of believers, the body of Christ, the church? It's love. Where does that come from? It comes from the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7, and again, the Corinthians, very carnal. He says, these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that none of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? (laughs) And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it. Is there anything that we have in Christ that we have not received? Did we earn it? Is there something about us that we deserve it? That God looked down and said, oh, look at Eric Christensen. What a cute little baby. I'm just going to bless that guy. 
I'm going to do something for Eric because look how good he is. Absolutely not. Is there anything that we've done to deserve God's favor? Why then as believers in the body of Christ, the church, would we walk as if there is? What happens when spiritual pride hits the elevation of my rights? Entitlement comes to bear. Oh, it's just so devastating and what a threat to the community of of Christ. Galatians 5.13, he says, You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Wow. I have made it. I have arrived. My standard is the standard. And so I begin to walk according to that, and I begin to envy others and challenge others, and I create my own little kingdom to make myself feel really good, to pat myself on the back and tell God how good it is that he has me in his community. And then I begin to have friction with other people because they don't necessarily think that my glory is really that great. And as a result, what happens? I begin to elevate my rights. I begin to be entitled. And folks, hear me on this. Look at all that I've done for the Lord. And as a result, what do I deserve? Oh. Isn't it a blessing and a privilege to do anything for the Lord? Shouldn't that be the outflow of our love for him? See, we don't do what we do because we get the credit and we get the glory. We don't do what we do because everybody praises us for our glory. We do what we do because we're blessed and honored. And we say, yes, Lord. And it doesn't matter whether anybody else knows about it. That's the point. It's for him. It's not for us. How antithetical to Christ going to the cross, is it? When we do what we do for our glory, for our honor, as if somehow we were entitled to anything. We judge one another. James 4.11 says, Don't speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Verse 9 in chapter 5, don't complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. (laughs) Do you hear that? Don't complain against one another. (laughs) Boy, anybody else feel like they got a target on them today? (laughs) Lastly, one of the things that absolutely is a threat to the church community is vicious speech. I put it as vicious speech. You can call it slander. You can call it gossip. You can say lying about other people, however you want to put it. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So in other words, in our flesh, we will always lie about others. But because we've been called into the body of Christ, the community of the church, and because Christ now lives within us as we yield to the Lord and he produces his love in and through us, we are to set aside the deeds of the flesh. We are to walk by the Spirit of God, and that will impact what we say. It should. 
Because we have a decision to make. Are we going to walk according to the flesh? Or are we going to walk according to the spirit? And what we say about one another reflects where we are in our walk with the Lord. It's interesting in Proverbs, and this is the one Old Testament passage I'll go to because this is so powerful. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19 says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Three out of the seven are about what we say. Wow. Folks, that ought to be a wake-up call to everybody, myself included. Are we walking in God's love? Because if we're walking in God's love, the banner of, of God's love over us will begin to give evidence of the fact that he's transforming us. And we will see it in the way that we relate to one another. And people begin to understand that that can't be fake. That has to be from the Lord. But the threats to the community are very real. Spiritual pride has all kinds of different implications. When it becomes about us instead of the glory of God, there's all kinds of different implications. And one of those things is we will challenge one another. We will envy one another. We will set a standard over other people that we ourselves cannot even measure up to. We begin to have an attitude of entitlement. And as a result, there will be I deserve moments. And then we will begin to be at odds with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a result, we will begin to lie about them. We will begin to gossip about them. We will begin to slander them. Gossip is simply anything that you say can be true or not true, but anything that you say about somebody else that puts them in a bad light. All slander is gossip. Not necessarily all gossip is slander. That's reality. You may be saying something true about somebody, but it has a negative light to it. And as a result, it's gossip. It is not for the building up of the body of Christ. It is not to the honor of the glory of the king. It is in order to put yourself above so that you look more spiritual than what you really are. That's the truth. Where are you this morning? Boy, the one another's are something, aren't they? Do you realize the, the beauty of being called to walk into the body of Christ, to walk according to God's ways? To say, yes, Lord. To say, Lord, here we are. We want to be a people after your own heart. We want to be changed and transformed and molded into your image. Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? We need one another. Let's go to the Lord. Would you close your eyes and just bow your heads with me for a moment? What's God doing in your life? What's the Lord saying to you this morning? You know, folks, I am very aware of the time. Unfortunately, as a pastor in America, there is never a moment where we're not aware of time. But I want you to set that aside for a minute. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.